How's everybody doing? All right, this is it's exciting day. Um, if you guys didn't know, we're in obviously the book of Revelation, obviously because that's what we said we would do. You know, what we set out. Um, let's see, it was De- I think December thirty first or December thirtieth of la- December thirtieth of last year? We we started Revelation one, and we're gonna hit. We're gonna get all the way through Revelation by through Christmas. All right, you guys with me for that? You're like Christmas. It's the second Advent. Not as excited as I hoped you'd be on that one. All right. Okay, here, all that is to know, hey, listen, if you're kind of one of those people that's like, what are you talking about? I'm glad you're here. Uh, my name is Chris Pleckenpole, and I love my Pleckenpole. It's a mouthful, but um, that's why I have Pastor Plex podcast. One, because it makes people remember by at least the first part of my name. Uh, and then also, I have a podcast that we, we ask, answer all the questions, uh, the hard questions, uh, the easy questions, sometimes it's nice when I get a softball, but I can do the, uh, the hard ones as well and uh, text them and we'll answer them and it comes out every Tuesday. We'd love for you to get involved with that. Now, here's an exciting thing. Last week, we, ha- we built this monster wall, which Grayson had to take down this morning. So thanks, everyone give it up for Grayson. He single-handedly took down the massive wall that it took several of us to build. Uh, and, uh, and what was on that was uh, what we committed, except for we actually committed about 100 160,000 more in the past week. So that number has gone way up. So that's very exciting. And last week we said, hey, bring your first fruits or the initial part of that. And we brought in 349,000, which is very exciting. That's about 12%. That's so great. And so we're well on our way. And people ask me, what does that mean? Because it's like, those are just numbers. Uh, And so if you've been following along, that means that we're going to have phase one plus which means there's going to be a youth room, which is excited for that. We're going to have offices. We're excited for that. There's going to be a playground, wor- worship. There's going to be a, a, ni- a huge lobby. It's exciting, and it's all going to be really awesome. So thank you guys so much for coming together to put this together, and God willing, it'll all be done by Easter 2023. Okay, so that's where it's exciting to think about. So just pray for prices of things and working, and that inflation never comes up. Okay, here we go. All right, so we're in a new, ser- or a new series, kind of back to an old series. We're unlocking Revelation, and what we've been doing uh, is trying to make Revelation uh, manageable to go through. I guess it's the best way to put it, because this is such a confusing, encrypted book. But the reason why we study it is that God promised that there is a blessing for those who study it, and so we want to experience the blessing of God, and so therefore we are studying it so that you will have a greater sort of view of what is coming. Now, there's a couple things about Revelation that I want to get everybody on board with. Um, There's something called orthodoxy, what all Christians believe. And all Christians believe that uh, one day Jesus is returning and that Jesus wins. Pretty much after that, it's kind of, it's, you can throw it up in the air and whatever comes down, it's, it's, Beyond that, it gets very challenging, and people have disagreed over Revelation for many, many years. But you're going to get my interpretation of it uh, this week, and I'm excited to share that with you. Um, and so the one thing I want you to remember is that what Revelation always points to is in the end, we win. Okay? And then in the end, oh, we go home to be with Jesus. And I think if, if we're honest with ourselves, um, we can sort of miss that perspective because we can get lost in a moment. In fact, in a, this is kind of a fun thing from uh, marriage counseling, okay? You can extrapolate one moment and say it's going to be like this for forever. And then you make decisions in that one moment that affects 
the long term, uh, <laughs> but not necessarily forever, right? Okay? And so, it, so you make decisions, or you erupt, or you say things that really don't reflect what you believe, because in the moment, you just got lost in the moment. Let me, let me try and explain that. So um, this year, Adrian and I and my whole family were gifted. Like, this was crazy. Like, crazy. Uh, uh, a friend of ours gifted us a trip to Colorado, like Telluride. Like, not like, like you got to live in like, you know, the, you had to Verbo and you just, we barely, afford, like they, swanky, crazy, nice, amazing, right? Better than we would ever afford in like three lifetimes, we got to go on this trip. And it was all expense paid. So like they, he, he even gave us like spending fun money so we could go buy a babysitter, all right? So this was like blessing upon blessing. Now, I tell Adrian this, <laughs> Hey, Adrian, it's like we won the lottery. We're going to go on this trip. And she wasn't as excited as I was. And I'm like, what? Like, this is going to be amazing. Are you kidding me? This is going to be like, the, we're going to Colorado. I mean, Colorado. I mean, this is going to be awesome. And she's like, <clears throat> have you thought about the trip getting there? I'm like, no, I'm thinking about being there. Let's, let's go a little, you know, come on, negative Nancy. Let's kind of pep it up a little bit. This is going to be great. And so, uh, you know, we bought the tickets. We got the thing. And, you know, to get there, you did have the pl- you, know, you had to arrive at the airport at 3.30 a.m. And, you know, maybe, maybe I, you know, overshot how easy that would be. And so we show up at, you know, the flight's at 5.30. And I have about four small children, so eight, six, four, and two. And so you can imagine the, uh, the joy that was felt by uh, the younger children as we made our way to the airport, and they don't fully wrap their head around what a Colorado is, right? It's, uh, you know, like, no, I'm like, it's going to be great, okay? And so we, you know, we make it, like, we make it through the first echelon with security with only minor screaming and, like, you know, a lot of that. And then we made, then there was two flights, so you had to first fly to Dallas, and then you had to fly to Montrose, which is like in a mountain somewhere. All right, and then, then you drive another hour and change-ish, two hours, to the actual hotel, all right? So, but it's in a mountain, all right? And so there we are, and I'm like, this is going to be all, okay, we, at the first flight, we, we endured, we made it, and we're like, oh, okay, we can do it. And then the second flight comes, and that's where, you know, we have a two-year-old who, for our eight-year-old, he can handle an airplane now as long as there is some sort of screen to look at. The six-year-old, he gets a little bit fussy around, like, come on that last part. The four-year-old, it's, we're game on right now, okay? And my two-year-old, he's ready to do war, okay? And so it is a wrestling match with my two-year-old. I'm like, and, and then the flight attendant comes out, sir, your child needs to be in his seatbelt with a mask on. I'm like pulling the mask off the floor going, Okay, so there's a moment, right? Like, we're going to Colorado. All expense paid, and we're going to like it, all right? <laughs> okay, and I think what can happen, isn't this true? This is what happens for all of us. We're going to heaven one day. Like, we have got a all expense paid swankier than you've ever swanked, all right? It's going to be amazing, but what happens with us, isn't this true? We get caught up in a moment, and we say stuff, and we do stuff, and we think stuff, and we act in ways that does not reflect that heaven is our home. And I wonder, it, it, I think that's the part of it, and there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. It's because we like our comfort, right? We, we are... <laughs> We're a people that get upset when things aren't comfortable. 
And also, we like approval. We don't want to be rejected or be on the outside of anything. And there is this, this thing in us that says, I will do whatever it takes to have my comfort. I will do whatever it takes to not be excluded. In fact, that is probably one of the, the primary things of our you know, country, just culturally, is like, we're going to make sure everyone's comfortable. Nobody should have to experience anything hard. And then also, also we're going to make sure that everyone is included. And nobody should feel left out. Like, we kind of, we have that sort of, like, mantra built in, and in some ways, it's excellent. In other ways, it can be costly. And so we're going to get into that uh, this morning, all right? So that's where we're going. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask God to just really open up our hearts as we experience Revelation chapter 13. This is going to be fun. And we're going to talk about what God is asking of the saints of the future and how that affects us today, okay? Just pray with me? Father, thank you. You are God, and we worship you for that. And so, Lord, I know in those moments where I know that I'm going to heaven, I know that you have the whole world in your hands. I know that you're sovereign, but there are moments when I want to take control. I want to get, let my anger win. Uh, I want to make people see that the way it should be and how I'm actually the king. And so, God, would you help me uh, just as I proclaim this message, would I be on the other side of it to receive it as well? Um, because I'm like everybody else here, needing to hear from you and be reminded that heaven is my home, and I'm called to endure even when life gets hard, and I'm called to reject evil even when it costs me. We love you, Jesus. It's all for your glory, we pray. Amen. Okay, here we go. I'm going to try and do a Revelation 1 through 12 synopsis in two minutes. Are you guys ready? Here we go. All right, remember Jesus, he came, died on the cross, buried, rose to the dead. That starts us off in the New Testament, okay? New Testament, now let's get to uh, Revelation, and this is, we also call this the church age, because after Jesus raised from the dead, he sends the Holy Spirit, and so we're in the age of grace, that you're no longer under law, but you're under grace. Now, Revelation 1 through 3, there are seven churches in modern-day Turkey, aka Asia Minor, or aka Galatia, and uh, John, the author, writes to them about what they're doing great what they're not doing so great, and how Jesus loves to linger in their presence because God is, and Jesus loves to be among his people. He is here right now. He loves being with his churches. Okay, so that's, that was Revelation 1 through 3. Then something happens some point after that, and then we call this the rapture, all right? So this is where in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, that those, Jesus will come down, and we will meet him in the air. And so there is going to be an actual, like, you're going to fly. I don't know how that's all going to work, but you're going to fly. The dead will meet him first, and then those who are alive in Christ will then rise up to meet him. And yay, Jesus, he'll be there, the party. Then what happens in Revelation chapter 4, there is a throne room scene. Revelation 4, we have a throne room scene, and there is uh, the throne room, and they're worshiping uh, God the Father. And this is an incredible experience. And then Revelation 5, they have this scroll, and they're like, who can open it? Who is worthy to open the scroll? And it's the Lamb of God, a.k.a. Jesus, good, you guys have been following along. Then Revelation 6, he opens up the six seals of the scroll. And then you've got uh, a rider on a pale horse with a bow but no arrows. And that is representative of the Antichrist sort of like taking over the world, not by military force, but sort of by fear and threat. And then you actually do have war. And there are uh, the, the, the rider on the red horse. He, there's wars, rumors of war. There's all sorts of craziness goes on. And Revelation, or sorry, the, the next seal that's broken is going to be the 
uh, black horse, which is famine and pestilence and disease. And so that's going to overtake the world, which just only secures the world leader's power all the more. And then death and hell uh, come following because you've got literal death, people dying of disease, and people going to hell, and that is not a fun time, all in Revelation chapter 6, to which you're like, yay. All right, then Revelation 7 is there's a, a great seal that happens. So Revelation 7, the, uh, the last seal is broken, and, and in heaven, you have this worship experience where every tribe, every nation, there's this unbelievable sense of diversity. It's just a reflection of God's people are all represented in heaven and all going crazy for worship uh, the king. And that what we want to be is, re- what's so great about Austin is Austin represents the world. Do you guys know that? There's people from every tribe, nation, tongue here. All right, and then, and so what we want our church to reflect is that sort of diversity there in heaven, not for just diversity's sake, but because that's represent, representing heaven. And then also, what goes on on earth is that those who have been left behind, those believers that became believers through all this, like, hmm, all this stuff that was in the Bible, it's coming true, I believe in Jesus, they get sealed with a mark on their forehead of some sort. Okay, and so we don't know if that it's visible to everybody else, but uh, God knows it. So all the natural disasters, or maybe God-ordained disasters, or God-behind-it-all disasters, do not affect uh, believers, but they still can be affected by uh, people. Okay, and then this is the tribulation, this is the first three and a half years, and then we have this tribulation mark, and then we have the great tribulation, and that's where we, we were last time, uh, last series of Revelation 8 through 12, that, that begins... Uh, the Great Tribulation, where we have some trumpets being blown, and uh, this gets us to uh, the seventh trumpet, and the seventh trumpet eventually gives us to seven bowls, and that's going to be super fun to look at. All right, so that's where we're at. This is where we're heading to the second half of the tribulation. Christians today are not going to be there. That's my take. You can disagree with that, but as I, as I, I think when, I want the anxiety to be relieved, not because you won't experience persecution, but because you won't experience that persecution, okay? All right, that's the good news. All right, so here we are. We're in Revelation 13. We're going to start at verse 1. Everyone got your Bibles, and get ready to hold on to Daniel 7 at the same time. All right, chapter 13, verse 1. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. Anytime you hear something coming out of the sea, that is great evil. That represents the sea is scary. That means... That's where the big monsters, sea monsters were. This thing is really scary, which is going to be in contrast to coming out of the earth, which is another beast is going to be that. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads. Now, th- remember, this is representative of a person. So how does a person have ten horns and seven heads? Well, we know from Daniel 7.7 7 that this beast would have ten horns. The seven heads thing is sort of new, but that com- to me, the way I take this, because it says Anat's horns were ten diadem crowns, or just crowns, and on its heads, a, bla- a blasphemous name. So the way I take this is that there are ten horns who represent rulers or kings or some sort of world leader, and then seven heads, and this is my own personal interpretation. These are going to be the, the people behind the scenes that make sure that the rulers do what they're told. I'm not saying it's these people, but like people that are like worldwide super famous rich people like Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos. I'm not saying it is these people. Don't take that, but it's like those people who have great influence over countries and rulers and that kind of thing, but it's all controlled by one guy because it's one beast. You with me? And so he has his uh, hands or heads in many different areas, okay? Now, that's heads, a blasphemous name, okay? So something that says, I reject Jesus. Then uh, verse uh, 2, 
and the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Now, again, this is from Daniel 7, 6. Uh, the kingdom that was like a leopard was the kingdom of Greece. So Alexander the Great took over the world like super quick. And so that's, he takes on leopard form, but oddly its feet were like a bear's, which I thought that was sort of weird. That, but anyway, the, the bear kingdom is the Medo-Persian kingdom, okay, the strong and powerful, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth which was like the kingdom of Babylon, okay? So what happens here is this last beast, which Daniel talks about in Daniel 7, is going to be like a combo beast of all, worse than all the previous three. You with me? And so here it is. And, uh, and to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Now, this is important because this beast is a person, Okay? And the dragon gave his power and his thorn, thorn, throne and great authority. Who else is like that that you know of? Cosmolog- cosmologically. Jesus, right? So God the Father gives his power and his throne and great authority to Jesus. So everything you see from Satan is a counterfeit of God, right? Because the commodity of heaven is worship. And so whatever Satan can do, because he said in his heart, I want to be like God. And I will rise to the throne. I will take over. And that is the great rebellion spiritually. And so you see it being activated physically here in Revelation 13. Now, verse 3. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. So the mortal wound becomes important because it's like he died, but then he rose again. Somebody else did that who was, okay, yeah, this is Jesus, right? It's, I want to model Jesus. I want to say, like, oh, Jesus did the dying and being raised from the dead. So I don't know if he's actually killed, but it, the whole world thinks that he was killed, and then he's raised from the dead. So either way, his mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And so what happened after they followed the beast? They worshiped the dragon, which is what Satan wants. I, I'm getting my worship. For he had given his authority to the beast, and they Worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? I think we have song, who is like our God? Like, we sing those songs, and so the people are going to be singing the songs of the culture, saying, like, we are going to, he conquered death. They're going to say the same thing, like, he is the best, and so bow down before him. And then the beast was given a mouth, uttering, uh, and the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Now, th- this word allowed always makes, sticks out to me. Who'd allow that? God did. To which you're like, well, I don't know if I like God, because that doesn't sound like fun times for everybody. He's allowing that. No, no, God is sovereign in control. Let's go back to, remember, who is worthy to open up the scroll with the seven seals? That's Jesus. And it's not like Satan came up with all this stuff. It was God himself revealing his great justice against sin. So God allowed it, and then he he allowed him to exercise authority for 42 months. Now, the 42 months becomes super important because this, right? This is where... um, Three and a half years, this is the great tribulation. So he's going to be worshipped for this second half. So the first part of the tribulation, he's coming to power, rising to power, and then there's an abomination of desolation where he stands in the temple, 
and he says, worship me. And many people are like, whoa, you went too far. And those people will be killed off. And here he will start reigning with iron fists. You will worship me. Okay. Then, verse 6. It opened its mouth, uttered blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and dwelling. And that is to those who dwell in heaven. And there's always a battle that Satan's raging against the people of God. And also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. God allowed Satan to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Now, can he conquer them permanently? No. This is the part where if it's not okay, don't worry, it's not the end, because in the end it's going to be okay. You with me? And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, which is reminiscent of Revelation 7, which is the commodity of heaven. It's what Satan wants. I want what you have, God. I want that worship. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone, watch this, whose name has not, not been written before the foundation of the world. Do you know there's really great peace in this? Before the earth was ever made, he chose you. And so our, our, we don't have fear. I mean, there, there's going to be moments, trust me, there's going to be moments where it's going to be like... But we don't live in a world of fear because we know that in the end it's going to be okay. Book of life. Yeah, we can clap for that. Before the foundation of the world, the book of life of the lamb who was slain. And then verse verse 9, and this is the part I think nobody wants to read. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Okay, watch this. This is the part where this, especially if you're sort of like a uh, Christian nationalist person, this really, this is going to kind of... If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. Don't fight it. What? If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must, must he be slain. Here's a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Now, this is hard to take in. You're just like, Jesus, whoa, <laughs> Jesus, we can, we can take him. I mean, at least we got your power. We got, no, no, it's not your job. Remember, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of darkness in this present age. And we don't do our battle with the sword. We do our battle with the spirit. Okay, so, so I think this is, what, this is what struggles for us. And so this is what the calling for Jesus to the people. Remember, this is for those who would become believers through the tribulation. The call for them is, and then for us now, Christians endure persecution because heaven is their home. And here's, again, here's the critique I get because I'm a, we get out of uh, all this tribulation nonsense, right? Thank you, Jesus, for that. But here's the critique I get for that. Chris, if you tell them that they won't have to endure persecution, then they are going to be like, just con- they're going to coast, they're going to become consumer Christians. That's the problem with the evangelical world. Everyone just like shows up, shuts up, pays up. You, we pay you to make us feel good. We don't give you any trouble. And everyone feels good about themselves. Hooray! That's sort of the, the kind of the, car- the caricature that's been painted of those who believe that we'll be raptured. But the reality is we're getting persecuted now. Okay, you're like, now listen, this is, let's just put that in context. Are we getting persecuted in America yet? Not yet. I mean, it, it, it's possible it's coming, but not yet. All right, let's just be real. But Jesus said this, right? If the world hates you, 
Know that it's hated me before it hated you. I'm first. If you are of the world, the world would, would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, so how do we, how do we deal with this? So there is persecution going on globally right now. You guys know that. Like, not here in America. Like, you might get, like, someone might be like, oh, what's that Bible for in your desk? Well, 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 Christian. And that's about it, right? I mean, you got, like, laws protecting you that if they found out you're a Christian you, and you get fired, you go, the system is not against you. You can go, like, well, actually, they just found out I was a Christian. They fired me. Like, then you have rights, okay? There isn't persecution here. However, if you go to Iran today, there's persecution there. In fact, um, here, here's, let's put it this way. Um, in America, our, probably one of our biggest struggles is drugs, alcohol, like people are in addiction, right? And so there are ministries designed, because addiction is such a problem, that we have ministries designed to help people come out of addiction, because it's ubiquitous everywhere. In Iran, there are ministries to help people who have endured persecution, torture, and trauma. Like, that's like a thing. In fact, one of them... Uh, was started because uh, there, in the early 90s, there's this guy named uh, Hamoud Suman, and he was in prison Iran because of his Christian faith. He was a pastor, underground pastor, and so he would be sharing the gospel, and uh, his church began to grow, and whenever you, you get successful as a pastor, you don't get like a lot of accolades and way to go. You get death threats, and eventually one day the police came and took ha- Pastor Hamoud away, and then uh, churches got around, they campaigned, they got international pressure put on them, and they're like, whoa, okay, and they say, hey, listen, if you stop preaching Jesus, we'll let you go, and he's like, you can let me go, but I'm not, stop- I'm not stopping preaching. He said, well, I'll give you a month to think about it, and so after he was released, all the churches celebrated, like, yay, okay, let's get him out of there. Let's get him, let's get him to Germany or the United States or somewhere where there's freedom of religion. We don't have to worry about it, and he goes, whoa, whoa, what are you guys doing? In fact, he wrote a letter, and this is what it, what it said. I'm a follower of the great shepherd, the sheep, our Lord Jesus Christ, and I am ready to sacrifice my soul for my sheep. For me to escape from this persecution would cause the hearts of my flock to become cold and weak, and I never want to be a bad example for them, so I'm ready to go to prison again and, if necessary, give my life. To which you're like, Maybe we have that sort of patriotism around here about America. But I don't know if we have that sort of patriotism around here about the kingdom of heaven. And, and so I feel like that sort of reality of like, I'm ready to give my life for Jesus. I mean, that's, that's, that's hardcore. But that is, but that's heaven is my home. That's like, I'm only here for a short time. And granted, going through security is painful, but I got a swanky vacation that I'm looking forward to. And you know what's interesting, uh, his daughter, as, as he left to go back to prison, she was uh, 13, and she begged him, and she's like, please, please, please don't go, Daddy. And he's like, I gotta go. I gotta keep preaching Jesus. And so through tears, they have that parting when the police come to take him away, and then a couple weeks later, they kill him. And so his daughter and now husband started Torch Ministries. And so they minister. Because, you know, isn't this true? Like your greatest struggle or greatest pain point becomes the greatest place of ministry. Isn't that cool? And so she and her husband now, they go to people that are in Iran currently. And they live there currently. And they've got, like, oh, I know, don't give up. Trust me, I've been there. I lost my daddy. 
don't want you to lose your daddy. But I want you to know that my daddy is, is in joy. He's living the greatest life he could ever live. He is now with Jesus. And that is the hope. And that's why we sing the songs. Not because that right now is going to be awesome, but because now we know that where we're going. And so we celebrate that and we don't lose our minds or at least when we lose our minds, we repent and say, like, I lost my mind, Jesus. Like, I forgot for a second about the trip I was going on. And I, I forgot about the swanky hotel and the place because I got consumed on this airplane with people looking at me all funny because my kid won't stop screaming. And uh, I'm sorry. Okay, so, so here we go with me. So watch this verse 11. There's another beast. Then I saw another beast riding off the earth. Okay, he's a little bit lesser. Out of the sea is greater, more evil, more dark. Earth is uh, in ancient Near Eastern time. The sea was way scarier than the earth. And it had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. So in appearance, it would be um, like a lamb, docile, sweet, has all the right external view, but then spoke like a dragon. So in his words were the power. In his words, it was harsh. And so uh, he had unbelievable amount of power, but he didn't look so bad. And he exercised all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. All right. First off, he makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. Who does this sound like? Remember, again, if, if this is the great counterfeit, God the Father, Satan the dragon, Jesus the Son, the first beast, the, all the authority power of Satan. Okay, then this is the, he makes them worship. So some might say that Holy Spirit or as a prophet of God, like Elijah, he comes in, he says, hey, listen, this great, uh, uh, like Elijah came, or actually, you know, in the spirit of Elijah, John the Baptist came and saying, here, he's a forerunner to Jesus. Or perhaps maybe uh, who makes all of the earth worship Jesus? That's the Holy Spirit who does that, convicts our hearts. And so kind of like, yeah, I kind of put both those in one. Whose mortal wound was healed. Remember going back to he was raised from the dead. That's why you should worship him. And it performed great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. That's Elijah did that. So kind of going to a John the Baptist reference who came the spirit of elijah and so that's first kings 18 19 and he calls down fire from heaven so this is an actual miracle fire from heaven comes people are like all right well what else you got that's fire from heaven i'm good with that and by the signs it's allowed to work in the presence of the beast it deceives those who dwell on earth and so the great deception happens and telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So they make some sort of statue, some sort of thing that represents the beast, and they build it. And then this prophet was allowed to give, allowed to give breath to the image of the beast. I don't know if this is like animatronic beast, it's like, you know, Disneyland, or if it's like, you know, a living statue thing. So that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. So I don't know if it's got laser eyes and it's like, 
and just like killing people. Or it's like a Hulk smash type thing, just smashing. But whatever is going on, this beast is, la- is just taking out people left and right. Whoever would not worship the image. I mean, like we got some Nebuchadnezzar, bring it to life, uh, kind of from Daniel uh, back in the day. All right, so you guys got this. So th- you got some, all of sort of the Daniel sort of esque moments of the Old Testament are sort of coming to life again. Uh, Satan's not that creative. He just puts on repeat things that have already happened, okay? Now, watch this. Verse 16. Also, it causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So you can't buy food you can't order on Amazon if you're not marked. So you have to have your credentials that say, I worship the beast. I am owned by, I am marked by the beast, which could be in contrast to God's people who are marked by God. Okay, So remember, everything that God does, Satan counterfeits. So for you to live, for you to survive, you have to be marked on the right hand. Okay? And this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. I remember one time I was, uh, I think I was, I was just, I was 16. I went to a, uh, like a gas station, and I got some gum, candy, and just a, a drink. And it came out to $6.66, and the guy's like, Do you want to get anything else? I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> All right, so I get it, right? Like, it's just a weird number. We freak out by that, as you should. All right, so what is going on here? And listen, here, I need you to hear this because I feel like this, this is what freaks people out. When you take this number, you are saying, in effect, I reject Jesus. This is not going to be like a, uh, oh, I didn't know. Oh, oh, that's what that is? No, this is a, I'm actively participating in allegiance to the beast and his kingdom, and I'm clearly rejecting Jesus. Because everywhere this guy goes, he's, not, he's bold about saying, God ain't nothing, Jesus ain't nothing. And so that's not going to be confusion. It's going to be simple enough to understand that the mark is going to be that clear. All right? So good news for the people that time. Thankfully, we don't have to calculate the number because it's, we're going to be raptured before then. But if you're listening to this uh, beyond the rapture, uh, welcome to our time here and sort of like a time-space continuum. I'm talking to you in the future. And what I want you to understand is that, that you're going to have to calculate the number of the beast. And so a lot of times people have done this incorrectly. They've taken Nero, like they thought he was uh, the Antichrist. And so you can, through gematria, it's like a kind of a science of, or science is where I put it, but it's like num- uh, alphabet has numbers. And so you take somebody's name, take the number equivalent, and then you, you add it up. And so if you do that with Nero and you add Caesar to it, his title, then you get 666. Um, you could do that with Adolf Hitler. You could do it with uh, the popes of the Reformation. You can do it with a lot of people if you just make the number work. <laughs> So I don't know, uh, like, and I don't think that because all this stuff has not happened, so therefore I don't think Hitler was it, although he definitely came as a type of that. I don't think Nero was it, but I do think he came as a type of that. I think, but at some point it is going to be the guy, and remember he's going to have a beat. He's going to have, he will be the beast serving Satan. He's going to have a prophet that does stuff like call down fire from heaven. 
So unless there's somebody calling down fire from heaven, you're not worried about, right? You with me? All right. Now, but I, you're like, okay, Chris, how does that apply to us today? No, in the future, they're going to have to reject evil. It's going to cost them. These people are going are to face a choice. Do I take the mark or, and um, give up my, any thought for my soul, or do I reject the mark? And I give up thought for the comfort of my life or the inclusion into society. But Christians reject evil because heaven is their home. And this is something that I feel like people, um, I don't think we train very well to reject evil. I, I think what happens is, you know, we leave training to, like, learn to read, do math. And I feel like the rejection of evil, it, that's, it should be a, a core competency. And in, in the Army, we, we learned to see, you know, we'd, we'd have like these flashcards for enemy vehicles, enemy weapons. Like, what's that? AK-47. What's that? BRDM. What's that? You know, you, just, you go through all the different vehicles that, uh, that were Soviet-made uh, that now the whole, this proliferator across the uh, Arabic world. Uh, anyway, so like you just look at all those vehicles, right? And, you'd, and you, you would ex- you'd train, you'd recognition, recognition, recognition. And so what happens is that over time, we don't understand when evil is moving in. Remember, our battle is against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of darkness in this present age. And so therefore, you've got to be understanding that there's something beyond what you can see that you need to be prepared for. All right, so let me, let me take you back. So, in, you know, when I was a first becoming, um, first becoming, when I was first a pastor here the summer of 2012, uh, you know, I, I was a couple months in, and I hadn't had any, like, you know, my life is over moments yet until about July. All right, so it was February to July. It was pretty, it was like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Hooray. And then nobody told me any real problems, and then bam, it all came. And uh, I, I was called to meet a, a guy. I said, hey, would you please meet me in the domain? Um, man, I, I need help. I, need, I have some decisions to make, and I don't know what to do. And so I, I go, of course, the T-shirt, shorts, and flip-flops, and I head down there, and he's, like, in full suit. And I'm like, oh, man. You want to take a walk to the domain in July heat? He's like, yeah, sure, that's fine. Cause <laughs> so there we are. I'm sweating. He's really sweating. Anyway, so we're walking around, and he's like, okay, a couple years ago, he kind of gives me the background. My wife cheated on me. It was a bad thing. kind of happened through social media, and I can't believe that that happened, but I'd forgiven there. We're moving forward, and I thought I was good. I thought I'd never have this issue, but now uh, the more successful I get at this bank, um, the more women like me. And now there is a woman that I'm really enjoying spending time with. And happy hour, sometimes it's just me and her. And when I show up at the office, I hope she's there because she always makes me feel all the things that I don't generally feel. And I'm like, mm, mm-hmm. And he goes, well, what should I do? And this is where I was like, Whew. And this is a classic pastor 101 move, Okay. What is God calling you to do? <laughs> and he goes, I knew you'd ask me that. And I was like, Phew, all right, go through that one, all right. So then he goes, uh, well, I feel like God's telling me to quit my job. And I'm like, that's pretty extreme. And so, uh, okay, well, is God telling you that? He's like, I really think he is. And I said, well, you need to quit your job. He's like, oh, I knew you'd say that. 
He says, I don't know, what am I going to do? And he kind of went on the list. Of, I mean, there's a lot of issues. If he quits his job, like his wife was pregnant with his third child, and, they, you know, they, they had school, and they, had, you know, they were private school, and they had things, and they had, uh, you know, like, I don't know what we're going to do. There's a certain lifestyle we're used to. There's a certain things we're going to, I can't quit my job, but I know God's called me to quit my job. I don't know. And I go, I'll, I'll be praying for you. And he's like, I can't go back to work. I think the Lord's telling me not to go to work. I said, you probably shouldn't go back to work then. And so he doesn't. And he, he just called in sick, like, from that day. And then he, he, wanted, he like, texts me every day. He's like, I can't go back today. I, I, can't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And, he said, I, and then eventually he had accrued so many sick days that it was getting sort of weird. Like, he needed to go back. And uh, he was, you know, doing a lot of phone-in things before phone-in was cool. And then... Finally, he, he texted me from McDonald's. He says, I'm doing it. I'm calling right now. I'm quitting. And I quit. I said, I'm praying for you, man. And I asked God, I said, I, in that moment, I remember thinking, God, I don't know. This is a huge, he is rejecting evil. He is claiming you. He's not wanting to go down that road. He's making such a huge, like, sacrifice. Would you bless that sacrifice? Would you do something really there? And I don't know if that means that, what that means for him, if he's going to go end up working at the McDonald's he's hanging out at right now or what, but God, would you do something? And I remember us kind of going, I, I called him, we prayed, and, and he was just feeling filled with anxiety. He didn't know what he was going to tell his wife. Uh, it was just painful. And then two hours later, I'm not making this up, two hours after we started praying, he gets a, a call and a job offer from another bank in town. It was bizarre. And I go, wow, I guess that's the way that works. <laughs> that was my intro to marital strife, right, was, was that. And so it, what I want you to hear is that it wasn't he rejected evil because he knew he'd get a better job. He rejected evil because heaven was his home and he trusted in his God. We don't reject evil for the better job. We reject evil because we trust in our God. I think if you can remember that, God takes care of his people. And he loves to take care of his people. And I think that's the great joy. And so the question I want you to see is that that's just a small picture of what it is to endure when evil is present, to say no to that, to trust Jesus. And so the question I have for you is, will you endure? And my hope and my heart is that if somebody watches this beyond the rapture, when all Christians have been met with Jesus, that in that moment you would understand what is happening um, with the Antichrist, and the contemporary events of your time. And that you reject evil, and you wouldn't take the mark of the beast, and you would have heaven as your hope and your home. But for those of us here in this time, there's plenty of persecution out there. There's plenty of chances for us to reject evil. And there's plenty of chances for us to endure as Christ has called us to endure. And so this morning, we're going to do something really special. Uh, Viana Trunick is going to get baptized. And this is a public confession of what Jesus has done in her heart. That he has made her to be one with him. Given her the power of the Holy Spirit to reject evil, to trust Jesus, and to do all that he has called us to do as Christians. And we're going to celebrate that. And there is no threat of a, a shooter coming in or the police coming in. There is 
uh, we, we get to enjoy it and celebrate it in this season of our life. And I'm so excited about what has gone on in Vienna's life and through the ministry uh, of the branch and how people have poured into her and loved her uh, through different seasons here. And so we're going to celebrate that. But if you're not a Christian here, I'm so glad you're here. Like we just talked all about a bunch of crazy stuff of a cryptic book. And if you've endured through that, well done. But I want you to know that Jesus came and he is the lamb that was slain that takes away the sin of the world. And so although, although life might seem real right now, this isn't real. But one day when, Jesus, when we will meet Jesus and our judgment will be real, and Jesus came to free us from that judgment and to give us great hope so that the momentary setbacks of life wouldn't control us, but rather we would have hope in home in heaven. So when you believe that Jesus died for you and he rose from the dead, you're confirming that your name had been written in the book of life millennia ago. And now you get to enjoy the blessing of being a Christian here, but then ultimately forever with Jesus in eternity. But if you are a Christian and life is, listen, we all, we all get moments on the airplane. We've all had moments of like, not acting very Christian right now. In our workplace, in our marriage, in our parenting, you name the thing. We've all been there. And so what Christ calls us to do is repent because he's here right now to say, I want you to come back to me and take your eyes off the now and put your eyes on your home with me. And so that's the call for us this morning. So we're going to pray. Um, band's going to come up. We're going to watch a cool video of Viana's uh, baptism video. I'm so excited to share it with you. And then we're going to baptize her and then we're going to worship. Father, thank you so much. Jesus, I'm praying that somebody here, maybe for the first time, would engage you, um, Jesus. That they would look at you as their Savior and say, God, look what you have done in my life. Father, I'm praying that uh, somebody might say, Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I can't trust in myself and my own goodness. I'm not good enough. But I believe you, Jesus, you died on the cross for my sin. You rose from the dead. You conquered the grave. And my hope is in you. So, Lord, would you do that work in somebody this morning? Holy Spirit, grab them. Take hold of them that they might believe. And, and Father, I pray that as this morning goes and we, we see that you're working and that there is something greater than um, flesh and blood, steel, and, and carbon, but rather you and your power. So God, as we celebrate Viana's baptism, as we celebrate what you're doing here, Lord, would you do a work in us to call us back to endure when life seems so, so hard. Lord, we love you, Jesus. It's all for your glory we pray. And everybody said, amen. I first started coming to church when I was really young. I don't know like what specific age. I'd say like pre-K. I went to Troyline, which is like the one down there. Um, my parents would take me to church every week and I'd go to the little children's ministry. Uh, growing up in the church, I feel like um, 
Like I knew about Christ, but I never like really fully had him in my heart. But I do remember one time in children's ministry where I went and then always after we did our children's worship, we would have like a prayer team that would um, be there like if we wanted to accept Christ. So we would like go up to them and they would like pray for us and we would like repeat after them basically because I didn't know how to like say all that stuff when I was a child. So I think um, as a child they didn't like fully understand like Jesus and the gospel. So I just kind of like did it and went with it because it sounded good for me when in reality I like didn't know like anything about what was going on. Well, I came here after my sister and brother joined, right at sixth grade, right when I could start doing the youth, and then I made friends with um, some of the people here, mostly Leah and Amber, and after um, a year, I guess I wasn't like super into it, and it was like just something that I did every Sunday. And so a lot of the times I would like skip out on Sundays because, you know, like homework and life and stuff, and I, it wasn't really a priority for me. And then after a while, those friends would like push me to like keep going to church. Okay, so after I joined here and I started attending regularly, I signed up for a lot of camps um, over the summer and that really showed me who God was and the people around me really showed me who God was. That's when I really started realizing that God is with me all the time and that um, I'm going to go out and do his mission. In Wells Branch, I think the people who have impacted my life the most are the leaders there and the shepherds, um, because going through church um, every single weekend and then them showing me so much like grace and love has really like represented Jesus's love and something that I want to be when I grow up. I feel really well. I've always felt really moved once Jesus came into my life, but now I feel that um, I don't have to be judged. I believe that um, God sent his one and only son down, Jesus, to die for our sins. And when he died for our sins, that he rose again three days later and defeated um, the penalty of sin, which was death. And what that really means to me is that Jesus is some, or God is somebody that is really loving and really like kind towards everyone. And that even no matter what I do, I still have God with me and that he still loves me. My name is Viana Chernik. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and I'm getting baptized today because Jesus is a cool dude. If you'll go ahead and stand and worship with us. Prayer team, you're welcome to go ahead and come forward at this time. Um, if you need prayer for anything. What would happen if we became a people who viewed heaven as our home and all the temporary setbacks and things we're called to endure as parts that would make us appreciate our home, forever home, that much more? Imagine how you would view of comfort would shift from a right now thing to an eternal thing. How your view of acceptance would maybe shift from a, a right now thing to an eternal thing. It would change you. It would change your family. It would change this church. And it would definitely change that city. Would you receive the benediction? Go. 
Go and be a people whose comfort is in Jesus. Go and be a people whose acceptance is in the kingdom of heaven, where it's your ultimate home. Go and push back against the darkness and have an awesome week of worship. You are sent.